You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and this business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at a special time of 3 p.m. and can be heard exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to consider listening to the show live during our broadcast times. We're broadcasting from octalkradio.net state-of-the-art studios here in the Tech Space facilities in beautiful Costa Mesa, California. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Smart Business Magazine, Smart Stop Self Storage, and Decision Toolbox. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, to make better and more informed decisions. We do that by interviewing guests who have knowledge and experience that you can learn from. Today is a special segment. Our first guest, Jim Corbett, who is board chair for the United Cerebral Palsy of Orange County organization, is in. This is not one of our nonprofit shows, but this organization came to our attention. Jim was available, so I asked him to come in and be a part of the program. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. Tell me a little bit about your background and then your kind of path to joining the board and the role that you play. I'm a 30-plus year medical device entrepreneur. Okay. And I'm in my fifth time of starting a company. And I'm in the fifth year of doing that. So it's my fifth time CEO job. Wow. And, a lot of fives um, there. And, and along the way, um, I've been rather active in various philanthropic efforts, um, notably like with American Heart Association here in Orange County. I was the chair of them their gala twice. Okay. And, and some others similar. But um, a few years back, I um, was talking with my wife, and I said, you know, I think it's time to maybe think about approaching our philanthropic strategy differently. Why don't we do something that's a little closer to home for us, not about my career in business, but really about our lives and people we care about. It happens that we have a close family member who has uh, cerebral palsy, and so we started focusing, getting more active there, and my wife in particular is a special needs lawyer, so she's very involved with uh, the, the causes of sure. uh, the disabled. And, um, and, and along the way, I met the former CEO of United Cerebral Palsy of Orange County, henceforth UCPOC, mm-hmm. in this conversation, Okay, and um, Kathy Collins, and she was, they were, they were expanding the board, and she said, you know, uh, we're looking for, you know, kind of transforming our board and getting it ready for the sort of next stage. And so I met with the board members, and I joined the board, in fact, last year. Last year. Uh, last calendar year. As a board member. As a board member. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Nice. So for those people that may not be familiar specifically with the Orange County chapter of the United Cerebral Palsy, uh, can you explain what United Cerebral Palsy, or as you say, UCPOC? Is yes. that right? U- yes. P- yes. UCPOC. Tell me about the organization here in Orange County, Jim. Well, it's got a long history. Um, in fact, it was founded in the early 1950s by parents um, and, and their friends with child- for, for, to benefit children with cerebral palsy and offer education and social activities that are really not provided at that time in the public school system. We became an affiliate chapter of the state of California's United Cerebral Palsy Organization. Okay. And therefore became part of the national 
UCP organization. It's, a, it's an affiliate structure. Okay. And we officially incorporated as a nonprofit in 1953. Wow. So we're having our 60th anniversary this year. I mean, that's huge. Amazing, huh? Yes. And, and so our original focus, and this, this is sort of one of those things that isn't immediate obvious, immediately obvious, is, um, Although we have focused immediately on cerebral palsy and children, because you could also focus on people with cerebral palsy. Okay. So our focus in UCPOC happens to be children. The children with cerebral palsy often have many other things that they're dealing with in, mm. in their health care, so confounding co-conditions that they have to deal with. And so we've, we, we have broadened our definition as to as focusing on children with disabilities to help them offer them a life without limits. That's our oh, tagline, wow. a life without limits. I like the tagline. We have about three minutes left, and I'm curious. You've been on the board for a year. You're already the board chair. How did that happen? <laughs> well, unexpectedly, of course. You know, um, one of the first tasks of the board was moving it to the next generation. So four years ago, we almost were completely uh, government-funded, and today we're... 35% philanthropic funded. Great job. So the world's changed for yes, us. Yes, it has. So we wanted to undergo a governance change. And as I joined the board, I've been a public company CEO two different times. And and so I have a lot of government governance experience. Sure. And so I became chair of the governance committee. And we went about rewriting our bylaws and testing our mission and doing a whole large number of things. And we had a, a, a lot of our senior uh, board members were coming to term limits. And rather unexpectedly uh, for me, I was nominated to uh, lead the board, in which I accepted. Okay. But it, it was kind of one of those things that, you know, oh, I didn't exactly expect to end up here. <laughs> My <laughs> second year, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. So, um, but, but nonetheless, we, 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 I've really enjoyed it. We sure. really have a great uh, group of people who are on the board. How big is your board? Uh, we have um, 18 members right now. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, what's the charter for? 21 or it, oh yes yes we can have um i think 23 23 i think so okay. yeah yeah are you looking for additional board members um we're not aggressively doing so okay. right this moment we're trying to assimilate we've had about a 50 percent if you go back 18 months we've got about a 50 percent new board wow and because so of the term limits uh, yeah term limits and and reorganizing specifically so it, it it you know you have to learn to function right as a team and that right. takes a little time. That's great. Yeah. Well, we're talking with Jim Corbett, who is in a capacity as board chair for UCPOC, which is United Cerebral Palsy of Orange County. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, I'm going to shift a little different direction, Jim. I'd like to ask you about your role as president and CEO of Veritos Medical. So we're, I want a little bit about that, and then we'll come back and talk about some other things going on with your nonprofit work. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in two minutes. But first, these commercial words from our sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. 
with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Welcome back to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and I would like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 11,000 copies of our show over the past 30 days, and we here at the program truly appreciate your continued support. All of our shows can be heard live here on Internet radio station octalkradio.net or can be rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and other business-oriented podcasting sites. All right, I'm talking with Jim Corbett. He is the board chair of UCPOC, and for those of you that were listening before the break, you know that stands for United Cerebral Palsy of Orange County, but he's also president and CEO of Vertos Medical, a medical device company. Uh, First of all, tell me briefly, what is it that your firm does? Well, we invented a new method that is device-enabled to perform lower back surgery Hmm. under local anesthesia through an incision the size of a baby aspirin that you go home the same day with. Okay, that's your elevator pitch right there, because that sounds really good. Well, it it is quite amazing, and uh, we're in the early stages of commercializing it and securing reimbursement and those types of things. Uh It's amazing, though, you know, you see somebody who can't walk for more than 250 feet who can suddenly walk 4,000. They did it without patient surgery the next day. It's pretty amazing. That's very amazing. So your experience being a serial entrepreneur with private and public companies, now board chair for a nonprofit, previous board chair experience, what's similar between your role and your what Vertos Medical is doing and what the work that United Cerebral Palsy of Orange County is doing? Well, it, it, it really starts, it's all around, all about the individual. So in the case of my company, it's about that patient. If we can help change that patient's life through the technology we developed, that's what matters. Everything else is a derivative. Mm -hmm. In the case of United Cerebral Palsy, when we can make a difference for a child's life, when we can help them develop new skills, new capabilities, we can improve the quality of their life and their health, that's our purpose of existence. 
They're so the same. Right. Really? Right. right the same. I can only imagine, too, how the parents must feel by having their child exposed to the kind of activities and the work that your organization is doing here in Orange County. Because as we were saying off the break, the money that you raise and the work that you do benefits the citizens here of Orange County. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of the differentiator. Uh I've been involved in other philanthropic efforts, but what I love about this one is we're so close to the beneficiary, you know, so to speak. Right. You know, we we get a chance to make a difference for the people that are actually in our neighborhood, you know, so to speak, if, right. if you're living here in Orange County. Right. I don't know, and I don't want to ask you an unfair question, Jim, but does your organization have a sense for the number of children in Orange County that have cerebral palsy? Or? Well, remember for us, our, our definition gets broader. Okay. So it's children with disabilities. That's right. And it's a remarkably big number. We know, I know this way. We impact about 4,000 children a year. That's how many we wow. come in contact with in, in one form or another, right. one of the things we do. And that includes their families, but children and their families. 4,000. Yeah. So every month we do a nonprofit show, and we have nonprofit um, people from the board, members of the board, or uh, the executive directors. And I'm continuing to be amazed in the time that we've done those shows how much need there is in here in our own county for organizations like your organization serving the need and helping 4,000 families, people improve the quality of life for the year. That's really outstanding work. That's why we do the Critical Mass Nonprofit Show is to help our community of CEOs and business owners learn about all the varied good organizations that they may want to get involved with or maybe members of their firm. Uh, let me ask you on that note, Every time I have someone from the nonprofit in, I like to talk about fundraising events, galas, golf tournaments, whatever. Uh, can you share with our audience what what is the next thing on the horizon relative to uh, you know fundraising event for UCPOC? Well, the really next big event for us is the Black and White Ball, which is a black tie event. It's going to be at the Island Hotel on Friday, May 9th. Okay. And it's really a great event. We'll have 600 people at that event. And um, it's really focused on our big challenge. And our big challenge is the transition of how therapy and the other needs of the disabled get funded. And it is moving sort of away from government because government's not functioning to pay for as much any any longer. When and you say government, is that state aid? It's state, it's state and federal. State and federal. State and federal. And, uh, you know, the latest regulations like the accountable, I mean, the, I call it the accountable, it's the Affordable Care Act. Yes. And they'll be accountable in the long run. But the, the reality is they, there is less funding for the disabled. And so for us to provide the care spectrum that these children and their families need, we need to fill in the gap with philanthropy. And so mm -hmm. that's the one of the purposes of this event. The, actually, the purpose of the Black and White Ball is to help us cover that gap. So if I, uh, if, if a member of our audience, a CEO business owner, wanted to go to the Black and White Ball and they bought a ticket and they showed up, what would they experience? What, what goes on there? Well, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing because the number one thing you see is a number of the children hmm. that we work with doing things that are kind of unusual. One of them will talk to us using an iPad because they can't otherwise speak. Another one will has learned to play. Will have learned to play the piano, and she will play the piano. Mm -hmm. And you'll see these really amazing demonstrations of, you know, you work with these kids, and they learn how to do things that they otherwise wouldn't learn wouldn't without that never. therapy. Right. And so 
it's it's and it happens right in front of you and of course we'll run the fundraiser around that yeah i would hope uh, yeah but but it, but when you see it, it you touch it it's it's real and and by the way we have a good time it's a great party but it is for a great cause wow that sounds like a very inspiring event to be to be at and i we're going to get to how people can learn more about your organization and that event through your website in a minute but before we get there i wanted to ask you what's the future for UCPOC, your role as board chair, you know, what, what's your strategy plan call for? What do you, what's the future hold for the organization, Jim? Okay. Very briefly, families with children with disabilities have a big challenge because they have multiple needs. And their life is chasing those needs. Right. Our vision is to have an, a, a place that where they can get more than one of those needs fulfilled, along with the things that are not paid for, like Inclusion. Uh, we have a Friday night club for mm-hmm. children with disabilities not surprisingly have trouble integrating socially. So we have programs that we, we have developed that facilitate the development of, of those kind of experiences for these children. Our challenge is to get the portfolio of what we offer, services and other programs, and find make sure that we can find a way to get them paid for, right. either through you know our philanthropic efforts and others mm-hmm. other ways of raising money that sounds great and i can imagine the energy and the fun that children have when they come on a friday night and can feel safe and have fun and be accepted and just do what kids want to do right have exactly fun. exactly so if someone wants to learn more about ucpoc jim how do they find you online online www.ucp-oc-dot.org Okay, give that to us one more time. www.ucp-oc.org. I'm going to have to have you guys come back because I'd like to delve a little bit more into the organization. So maybe sometime in 2014, Jim, you can come back and we can, maybe it's closer to the event or after the event. And I want to keep my eye on your organization. I I think you're doing amazing work here in the county. And I want to thank you for helping the residents of Orange County and being a friend of the program. And welcome to the Critical Mass community. Well, thank you. And and you doing this is making a difference for these kids. And we appreciate that. Thank you very much for saying that. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. Our second guest will be with us after we take a commercial time out. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. There's something happening out there today. All across America, we're seeing encouraging signs of economic recovery. Businesses are once again thinking about new growth, and new opportunities are emerging. But it raises the question, is your company positioned to take full advantage of the economic recovery and the opportunities it presents? Maybe it's time to ask, how has the recession impacted your business model? Is your business as relevant as it once was? Should you consider entering new markets or expanding into new categories? And what do customers really value about their relationship with you? The golden thread through all these questions and the answer to each and every one of them can be found in just one place. 
your brand. It's much deeper than your logo and much bigger than your advertising. Your brand is the enabler of your entire business strategy. Rika's Baird is a brand strategy firm that can help. They specialize in business branding. They've helped hundreds of companies from startups to Fortune 500 leverage their brands to drive growth. They can do the same for yours. It's really quite simple. Find out more, just visit brandingbusiness.com. That's www.brandingbusiness.com. And plant the seed for economic growth. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on a radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. Last month, we delivered over 20,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions. To learn more, contact our advertising department at 949-887-4104. All right, our second guest comes to us from BBK. He's not our first guest from BBK, but it's his first time that Gene's been on the program. And this is Gene Slusevich. How do I do, Gene? Very good. Close Thank enough. You. All right. Well, anyway, we'll just call him Gene, just to, so I don't trip best. over his last name a little bit. I first want to ask you to talk to us a little bit about your professional path to BBK, Gene. Okay, thank you very much for allowing me to come on your show. I started my career at GMI, General Motors Institute, and graduated as a mechanical engineer, and later went on to get a master's degree uh, in management. I worked at several General Motors operations in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is where I originally grew up. I started in a fuel injector plant back in 1980, and we were trying to do 50 a day by the 1st of May, and when I left in 1994, we were doing 250,000 a day. Wow. In 1994, I had an opportunity to uh, get an assignment in Asia, a two-year assignment to help launch cars in Indonesia and in China. 
And so I left with two suitcases and a golf bag. <laughs> and here I am 20 years later, finally returning back to the United States with a wife and two kids and a house and a car still in China. So are you saying your two-year stays turned into 20, 20 years? 20 years, okay. correct. All right. Okay. Um, I, I ended up, when Delphi split up from General Motors in 1999, I lived in Singapore for a few years, helping the 31 sites in Asia uh, with their activities in supply chain management and quality and systems improvement. And in 2007, I left GM and Delphi and joined a consulting company called Pat Group. And what I was doing is providing uh, resources to joint venture companies in Asia to help them improve their quality systems for their suppliers, to, to raising them to international standards. And this summer, BBK, I come here every summer. My parents live here in Orange County. My brother lives here in Laguna Niguel, so we come here every summer. And BBK offered me a position, not in Michigan, but here in California, to try and help American companies improve their throughput and their efficiency so that they can become globally competitive and make more money okay, here in the United States. So I'm grounded in automotive background, in quality systems and systems lean. These are usable uh, methodology oh, and techniques to help uh, manufacturing companies, business processes, and service companies on the West Coast. And automotive companies have, as well as automotive. Has, but they've had to do so much with lean and with manufacturing best practices because the margins, especially for the supply base in the automotive industry, are so thin. You've got to take all the waste out of your processes in any hopes of making money at the volumes that you have to produce with perfect quality. And that's what I did: quality and systems and lean. So you were in Asia before a lot of people decided that was where they needed to go for the next revenue bump, right? I mean, Correct. you must have seen in the 20 years that you were in that region, a lot of sophistication or changes are grown up. You know, I don't know the right words, but just dramatic, rapid changes and improvement in how they do business. I, I got to China in 1996, and I was uh, uh, before the boom. And so... Uh, we talk about what is the China national bird, and it's the crane, the <laughs> construction crane. So I was there before any of the international uh, housing complexes were there. And then while we were growing, helping Delphi, we were growing at 35 45% a year. So it was fun and exciting to be there and right. being part of the one of the first 20 people in GM China. And I'm proud of what we accomplished. Right. I um, For a while, I had the opportunity to go to China because part of my supply base was there. In my opinion, and this was in the early, you know, part of this century, it was like the Wild West, right? I mean, oh, yeah. y the rules were being made as you went. Things were, you know, there was no map to follow, and it was uh, the energy and just the people and the culture around what was going on was it's unbelievable. It was exciting to be part of this tremendous growth, and, and it cannot be duplicated for a long time. Right. But it was it was truly amazing to what great to do experience. That. All right, let's talk a little bit about BBK. So, from your perspective, um, you could have went to a number of different companies. Why did you choose BBK, and what is it that you're focused on now as a part of the team here in Southern California? Okay, BBK is a Midwest company. Their headquarters are in Detroit, so most of their customers and clients tend to be automotive-related. But they are a very complex or, or, or wide variety of, of services they provide. They have lawyers for tax and litigation activities. There's real estate uh, experts. They do mergers and acquisitions, which is something we'll talk about later because in the last three months that I've been here, uh, we've got two projects where we're trying to help a Chinese company 
come to the USA and find uh, an acquisition and we're being successful. So I'll talk a little bit later about okay. onshoring and reshoring Great. businesses. But they also are grounded in CPAs, so they provide financial services to all different industries, you know, for companies. And then they have an operations group, which is I'm I'm a part of the operations group. So my colleague here, uh, Jim Downs, is here in California with me. He's a CPA, and I'm the ops guy. And together, we're growing our network in support of non-automotive as well as automotive companies out here on the West Coast. Do you plan to stay in the West Coast for a while? I mean, is this home now? Are you bringing your family here? They're coming here in January to look for housing and schools. And, yes, we're planning to settle down here. What does BBK stand for? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the owner's names of the company. Oh, okay. And, and so it, Who cares? It's yeah. just a bunch of initials. It's all about the people that you work with, right, Gene? Correct. It is okay. a great company to work for. So you, you mentioned you're in the operations area of BBK, and I'm wondering if you can tell me oh, what type of services do you and the operations group of BBK provide? I'm going into companies to provide practical, uh, very grounded uh, recommendations to the company's management on how the way they can improve the throughput, and the efficiencies of their company. They're looking at inventory and warehouse management, their quality systems, their supply chain management, looking at energy and indirect material spends. And Jim, my the CPA colleague of mine, he works at improving the cash flow and enhancing the financial management uh, methodology, and, and both of us together then improve the profitability of these companies. And our sweet spot tends to be the 10 to $50 million companies uh, and although Jim and I both have experience with large, you know, $150 million to $500 million companies as well. Um, the companies I've seen here in California so far, and again, many of them are not like the executives that come to your sessions. These are companies that tend to need some support, are more focused on making a product or providing a service than they are focused on making money. And so they're leaving lots of money on the table. They might be in the black but they're leaving lots of opportunity on the table. And so we go in, and most of our referrals come from banks and financial institutes where these companies are not performing to their expectations for repaying loans and, and, and uh, things like financial credit like that. And we go in and help them improve their efficiencies and, again, their profitability and return them back to profit. I've been going to networking meetings all over the place. And again, just like your colleagues that come to your meetings where we originally met, right. uh, they're saying they're the cream, but their people are seeing lots of companies that need this type of support. They don't do business plans. They don't have metrics for monitoring performance. At the end of the month, they're surprised whether they make a profit or not. And so that's what we do is come up with a project management-focused supply chain management process to improve their profitability. And so they, they know whether they're going to make money at the end of the month or not. You know, that, that, that's excellent, and I, and I am glad you said it that way because it's two sides of the same coin. On one side, there is tremendous opportunity for immediate improvement when you take what you've learned from working for a Fortune 100 company like Delphi or Fortune 50 of GM and bring it to a 10 or $50 million manufacturing company, right? Because they haven't had the type of investment in their manufacturing processes that you've been able to implement and learn from and, and implement and develop yourself. The other side of that is you really have to be judicious, though, with how much you put on those smaller companies to get them up to the kind of big company efficiencies, because many times they're not adding staff to do it, and they don't have the kind of robust staff that a large organization would have to make a deployment, isn't it? You just can't go in and roll everything that you know into the company in the beginning. You'll, you'll create them, won't you? Right. I mean, you can really do damage. 
But again, I see lots of companies are do, leaving very simple, practical things on the table that doesn't take, you know, rocket science to implement. It's it's doing due diligence and just doing what you know you're supposed to do. Can you give me an example? Uh, well, okay, I'll give it to Happy. Okay, Lean has lost a lot of its glamour in the past, and the fact that people used to think that Lean is a, would be the next catch-all and save their companies. Improving quality and throughput definitely will improve their production floor and will indeed make a significant impact to their bottom line. But to sustain these things, you need to go beyond just the production floor. You know, you need to look at the way they run their business. Okay, um, For example, you got to look at the, installing a culture that accepts continuous improvement right. and continuous change in their business practices, including purchasing, financial systems, accounting methods, HR activities, okay? These are all broken down. These all things can be broken down into a process step. You can map it, and then you can find your bottlenecks and areas oh, you mean to you fix just, it. You just don't do this on the operations and the operations side on the manufacturing uh, floor? You have to do this throughout the company, You Gene? need to do this throughout the whole company, not just waste an operation everywhere. Floor. There's waste everywhere, right. okay? And so you look at that is one of the key things. Another problem I see, or the three biggest problems that I see companies struggle with are three things. Communication and cooperation between functional groups. These groups have their own priorities, and they need to figure out how to work together. And right. companies don't work together. And that's, a, you know, even though we go out and fix one area, the other areas need to be uh, worked together. Project management techniques need to be used for launching new products, okay? But project management techniques of coming up with a plan... And then executing that plan and tracking progress need to be done for anything you, everything you do, okay? And any improvements that you plan to do, you need to follow a regimented project management methodology. Right. And last is tracking KPIs, key performance indicators, and saying, are we making progress or not? And this way, if you're early on in the project, you see you're falling behind, you have time to fix it. If you wait till the end and discover you're late, you don't have time to fix it. And right. so instituting things like that or what I what I do. Well, there's so much we could talk about because you talk about visual metrics and the, the power of visual aids in a manufacturing environment, and we could go, maybe that's a topic for another day because yeah. we've got more than we can handle for the show today. We're going to take our, our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio. So, Gene, when we come back, I'm going to ask you if you can share a little bit more about the work that you're doing, maybe some of the uh, challenges or opportunities that you're facing at BBK, and we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, but we're going to take this commercial timeout. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Do you want a free analysis of your inbound marketing? Do you want it in 30 seconds or less? 
then check out Marketing Grader, the free marketing tool from HubSpot. It's simple. Just go to marketinggrader.com, enter the URL that you want to analyze, and Marketing Grader will instantly give you a detailed report grading your lead generation, mobile marketing, social media, competitive benchmarking, and more. It's simple, it's powerful, and it's free. MarketingGrader.com. Welcome back to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 11,000 copies of our show over the past 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued support. All of our shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station OCTalkRadio.net or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or other business-oriented podcasting sites. Our guest today comes to us from BBK and 20 years in Asia, helping operations and, and improvement in manufacturing companies across a bunch of industries, not the least of which is automotive. His name is Gene Slusevich. And, Gene, we were talking offline during the commercial about one of your case studies where you helped the company with some improvements. Can you give us the highlights of that engagement? Okay. There was a company in China that was uh, making 25% of his business was making a product for an American company. And so we were brought in board to make sure they launched the, the product successfully. My staff, you know, is mapping the process steps of the process that they, they go through. We discover at the second to last operation before packing, there's a one-minute test. And they didn't know what their reject rate was, so we, we discovered that 70% of the parts ended up going into the box, and 30% got rejected at this one-minute final test. So they just mix and match, took the parts apart, mix and match, run it back through the system again without any controls. And so what we did is put little stickers on those parts, and we discovered that half of those parts that would fail a second time. So out of 30 that would fail, 15 would fail again, and then 8 more would fail again, and another 4 more would fail again. So we ended up with a bunch of parts with 6 or 7 stickers. So we analyzed those parts and came up with a resolution of what caused that. And within 3 short weeks, he went from putting 70 parts in a box out of 100 he went to 92 parts in wow. the box the first time, called first-time quality, right. in the box the first time. So, I mean, we improved his efficiency by a significant amount. We changed, we improved his changeover times from model to model. So that saves five hours, six hours a week. And we improved his uptime of his equipment. So we ended up getting rid of Saturday overtime and mm. reducing the number of hours. So he ended up with 25% more capacity, which he sold. And so uh, top line growth. Um, 20% reduced cost for labor because we were able to pr- produce more in the box the first time without a lot of rework. His profit margin went from just barely over uh, zero to 12%. And what we did is fix him for all his customers, not just the one that we originally got the engagement for. Right. You can take that lessons learned and apply it to others. That's powerful. And, you know, in my direct experience at Delphi as well uh, with lean and manufacturing process improvements, Two of the benefits that you get as the leader is you get more space, right? Right. And you require less people to get the work done when it's properly laid out. And then all the other benefits come with it, and less inventory, less space. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me how you can really transform a manufacturing um, footprint when you bring in the latest thinking in this area, lean and Six Sigma and manufacturing processes. So I highly recommend it for any size manufacturing company, but it's not just for manufacturing companies, is it? Oh. I mean, process improvements are service companies. Service companies and business practices and processes as well. Right. 
So we're talking to media companies and the way they do TV media. So. Right. And, and, the, and it, the, the fundamental change, as I saw directly in myself and my team, my executive team, is you start to identify waste. You become more comfortable pointing out waste and realizing that t- time, you can waste time. Right. Yep. How long does it take to get to this process? Why are we waiting that long? What? Can, how do we shorten the amount of time that a piece of material sits in a queue waiting to be done? Because it's not making you any money when it's just sitting there. Time is, is money. Time is money. All right. Well, see, we're just scratching at the surface of what this guy's knows, ladies and gentlemen. But we're at least scratching at the surface. Let's talk a little bit about a challenge that's facing your practice within BBK. Okay. Well, one of the things about challenges is that people get excited on a new project for the first several weeks, and so they're initiated, ready to go, and ready to do stuff. But then with time, they get busy, a customer come in, they have end-of-the-year mo- end audits, and so they're busy with that, and so the amount of progress slows or dies. Another one is companies that were in the red and now in the black, they go, ah, we made it. Yeah, we've arrived. We're done. And we're done. Yeah. Okay. And, and they forget to realize that, that this, this is a journey. It's an ongoing journey. You set a target, you reach that one. Now you set another target and you keep on going. And finally, you know, uh, what I offer is common sense. There's nothing magical about what I do. These are common sense, practical, uh, suggestions I give you. And so getting people to pay for common sense stuff that they know they should be doing but they're not okay is sometimes difficult a mentor of mine said there's nothing common about common sense and Mm. that's a very true statement is it your experience having worked with these improvement processes across a bunch of different size companies etc that if the management if tone at the top isn't right the best improvements can backslide that you never really, I mean, you have to be careful. How long does it take to really re, uh, redo the culture such that the habits that were there when you came in don't creep back in? It's my experience that things are atrophy. And if you're not on the case, things will devolve if, if you don't properly have the right tone at the top. Well, again, very true. You know, maintaining and sustaining the, the improvements, uh, Toyota does, they have a Six Sigma project. And six months after you finish the project, you've got to go back and check, are you sustaining mm-hmm. the improvement, either the quality or cost or cycle time that you did? You know, and, and so it's the natural tendency that once you make innovation improvement, things go down and, and degrade with time. Continuous improvement mixed with innovation means you got the little steps that go up, and so that the next innovation six months or a year from now later will get you even higher. And at worst, you'll stay flat. That's right. not a bad thing. Right. That's not a bad thing. Um, and it, it is harder to make the subsequent process improvements, though. I mean, what you have on one side is you have the energy and the excitement because, hey, we fixed that and look at all the gain. Now let's go again. But it's sort of like the saying low-hanging fruit. Some of the early changes you make are the easiest to make as far as seeing the results of the right. improvement. Later in time, it requires a little more thinking, and it's not always as obvious how you can continue to get uh, some type of improvement out of a process is my experience. Well, again, this is a you know a lessons learned that I learned, okay, and that is that you know uh, it's a pet peeve of mine that people don't document lessons learned. So companies uh, with new staffs are faced to face these same challenges again and have to relearn the lessons the hard way again. So again, one of the lessons I've learned 
is that I get excited, and I do get excited, and want to jump in. we got 10 or 15 things that we want to accomplish, and so we jump in and try and do them all at the same time. And, yes, you have a big bang for your buck, and you see some improvements, but you never bring closure. Right. And if you don't bring closure, these bad habits, and like you just said, these mistakes will come back again months later or years later, and then you end up facing them again. So it is better that you pick on three, and then you close them, and then you add another one. So you have a prioritized plan, and you work on one after another, right. rather than jump on all of them at one time. Right. And I, oh, I'm a little bit off script here, but you know, the other thing that always surprised me is the root cause analysis. I mean, you really need to make sure that whatever process you're using to discover the root cause is is right for the work that you're the process that you're evaluating, and that you truly get to the root cause and not some other thing that. We, okay, we all agree that's, and then you fix it and you don't get any gain. Well, it's, it, there's something called, uh, uh, five why. Right. Okay, and you, you five ask why. five why, you ask why five times to really get to the root cause because too many companies stop after two or three. Because it gets hard. And they fix it. And as you just said, it doesn't go. Now I bring you something new. It's called three by five why. Okay. And it's, it's called three P's. Why didn't I? First one is protect the customer. Why didn't I protect the customer? So you go five, three, you go five, why, why didn't, why okay. did I ship bad parts or why did I do things bad? The second one is why didn't I, um, uh, prevent making bad parts? And so if you have internal reject rates, you got to prevent making bad parts. Everybody has problems. If you fix the problems before they go to the customer, then there's less likely they'll go to the customer. It's always worse. So it's better to prevent making bad parts. And the last one is predict. Why didn't I predict that this could go bad? We had the same problem on a different line. Why didn't I implement this change from that line to this line? So three by five Y. You go through the five Y questions three times, preventing it Uh from getting the customer, uh, protecting the customer, preventing problems, and predicting what problems could occur. Well, having, having been involved in many five Ys, it is amazing to me that those sessions can get really, um, contentious. Yeah. People don't um, get frustrated having to ask that question. They almost feel like you're being a jerk, right? Because I gave you the answer. No, I don't think you did. Why? And it's, I, I have seen people get physically upset with the person who's leading the exercise. I don't know if that's been your experience or not, but they just aren't used to having to think or reveal that level of thinking to uh, executives and other people. And it usually goes back to management, not having systems or maintenance (laughs) systems in place. Okay, Uh, Keep that down. Okay, stop it. Let's blame the people. That's that's the why I want. I've got a few minutes left with here. I'm wondering if you could share a valuable lesson that you learned that might have come, Gene, from a painful business experience. Do you have one of those you can share? Well, again, like I just said, the, the, the one where I've implemented stuff, and the sustainability didn't last because the systems weren't in process procedures, policies weren't installed in place. And so, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time, we, we were successful, and then they didn't win business next year because they couldn't be sustained. Somebody needs to go in and do an audit on a regular basis. And you don't want to try and, it's called layer process audit. You want management to go out and look for problems. Okay. And, and, and so every time I go out to the factory and visit a customer, even, you know, I keep going back and looking at them saying, Hey, you said you fixed this. Look, you didn't, it came back or, ah, here's something new. And so you need management and a team to go out with eyes of the customer and look for everything wrong on a regular, like weekly basis or more frequently than that, and try and then come up with a plan to fix it and put it on the wall and you put it on the wall so everybody can see it. And if the task is there, the time is, when's it going to get done? And his name is there. And then when his name is there, 
then it'll get done. Too many times I see these plans hidden in the desk drawer, right. and nobody sees that it doesn't get done, and if it doesn't get done, nobody will know. When his name's on the wall and he doesn't do it, then he's accountable. And, and people hear our own name on the wall and put all this stuff, and you may think this is to be a bully, you know, to, to shame people into it. But it, my experience is exactly the opposite. When you get these dramatic improvements, the people who drove that, who were the internal champion, deserve to have their name associated to the greens that are up on the board so that when the executives come through, they can easily recognize good performance and, and then recognize the individuals who caused it. Yeah. Back to what you said earlier about lean being there to eliminate people uh, like the one example he didn't eliminate people he sold more business and so the people ended up going back to overtime okay and getting all the overtime they wanted okay and they were selling 25 percent more business and, and you how do you quantify in a manufacturing environment the fact that you've taken out errors and bad product people don't want to rework a product they've worked on the first time they don't want to try to figure things out so the less problems you inject in the system the more you take out the happier your workforce is because they're focused on improving and making more product not oh here comes that part again it's got five dots on it and here's the six well two points that you just said happy workers give you better quality okay and that's one second one is rework there's three types of rework there's rework that you plan it's in your cost there's rework that, that is making correcting mistakes and there's hidden rework Things are being done out on the shop floor. You don't know it's being done, and so your your throughput, your efficiency is down, and nobody knows that the guy is being conscientious, reworking parts, filing off burrs and things like that, and production schedules and output suffers. Yeah, right. And how do you how do you make that a process? Oh, this guy who's been doing it for years knows how exactly to uh, to take the burrs off the part. Only he goes on vacation and somebody else is in there, and they don't even know they're supposed to do it. Exactly. Let alone know how to do it properly. And all of a sudden, your customer goes, "Hey, what are you doing? You're sending me these." parts with these burrs on it that's never happened before Correct. and then you do the closed loop and you you look for the why and it ends up well this guy's on vacation oh my god what's happening hey if somebody would like to learn more about bbk in general and your department operations and what you guys do here in southern california in particular how do they find bbk online gene well bbk is on the internet is www.e-bbk.com that's our our, our office we're Give based me that in again www e-bbk.com okay and then, then you can contact me uh gene slusevich is g s l u s i e w i c z good luck with that at e-bbk.com or, or call me as 949-616-8789 gene it's been a blast to have you here we'll have you back at some point in the future there's so much that our audience and this isn't just for manufacturing companies, ladies and gentlemen. Construction firms, people who have processes, service organizations, restaurants. There are so many different industries that can benefit from looking at their businesses with the idea towards eliminating waste, which then has so many positive benefits across just some of the things that we talked about today. I'd ask you to consider as one of your things for 2014, how do I eliminate waste in my business? Thanks for being a friend of the program, Gene. Thank you very much. Happy uh, to be here. All right. I'd like to thank... Uh, our producer, Crystal Nunley. Uh, this is her first full day on the job being a producer. She brought us guests today. She's done an outstanding job. Welcome to the team. We're taking the show up to the next level in 2014. Our engineer today was Paul Roberts. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Our marketing communications manager is Kelly Faltis. I'm your host, Rick Franzi, saying until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction.
You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show right here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.